smartcast you're listening to a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast hello and welcome to this special broadcast of on the record i'm joined uh, today by dr fahim yunus Dr. Yunus is the Chief of Infectious Diseases at the University of Maryland and why we all know him is because he is very very active on Twitter and social media and through the day he gets asked questions and he very generously keeps posting responses to them and today of course generously is taking time out Dr. Yunus thank you so much for speaking with Hindustan Times Thank you for having me Sunetra Just to get an idea, Dr. Yunus, because I told you know we talked about. I've just announced how um, you are active on social media. How you know your the responses and the queries about COVID uh, have they been much bigger now? Since have they increased a lot uh, since you started talking about it? Sure, I think this has moved over the year. Queries first were coming from US, then there were a lot. coming from europe so geographically it changes as the virus and the pandemic moves in different parts of the world and i do think some of the questions are perennial so when people get covid they're all worried about contagiousness they're all worried about their family they're all worried about when to go to the hospital so some are evergreen questions but then of course because of vaccines and variants now there are newer questions and some of those are just gray areas and one thing i've tried to do that if i don't know something or if the science has not evolved yet i try to keep my mouth shut and not get into those areas so for instance uh, you know i it's so true what you're saying about the science not evolving because so many things that we were told by our doctors before that we were told by um, our scientists before they seem to be changing all the time and i think perhaps that's what leads to confusion isn't it so what what is the area that you're avoiding these days talking about I mean for example is this new variant in india currently more deadly i don't think that has been studied well it is more transmissible yes but is it more deadly we don't know is it going to hurt children more those are unknowns we don't know those questions so far and any time one or two or even 10 cases if they happen and they hit the media headlines i mean it creates fear among people so i like to keep a level head and not go to any extreme i'm not a covid denier and i don't believe in covid panic no matter how bad situation may be you have to keep a professional because people can react whatever way they want i'm a trained professional my reaction should be in the middle so we are problem focused and not just go to any extreme so let me start with something thank you sunetra uh, this new role as speaker of kerala assembly is an important role i uh, hope that i can discharge uh, the new responsibility assigned to me by the party uh, my 10 years of parliamentary experiences in lok sabha uh, will be helpful for me in discharging of uh, kerala assembly i will try to uphold the rights of each and every member yes i agree a speaker should not be part of uh, uh, party politics so i won't be part of uh, any uh, is this something that you think is particular just to our country uh, dr yunus 
I think there may be increase in the region because we have seen COVID ravaging through Europe and North America, but I don't think we have seen that degree of increased cases of mucormycosis or black fungus. Now, why it may be a higher incidence in Nepal or India or Pakistan, there are some hypotheses. Of course, there is a trifactor. So the fungus is in the environment, is in the soil. And what predisposes a human being is diabetes, steroids or immunosuppressive drugs. COVID by itself, I don't think predisposes anyone to mucormycosis. It's the treatments of COVID. So if steroids are being used in very high doses, or if patients have immune suppression, or they're having cancer, dialysis, those situations, and then depending upon what kind of environmental exposure they get, because if they get a big dose of that soil that's carrying this fungus and they're immunosuppressed, then yes, chances are that they're going to have a higher risk. And I think those conditions prevail more in the subcontinent as compared to Europe and America. But right now, once again, the focus should be at the appropriate use of medications at the early diagnosis, because what I'm hearing is people are just using steroids like water, and I've talked about it for so many times, that it's precision that matters. When you are a good, a good clinician does not do more, does not do less. A good clinician does just right. And as long as you do just right, you will not do harm. You're saying good clinicians. So are you saying that the what might be going in this particular case of black fungus is that doctors are jumping the gun or do you think people are self-medicating? Both, both could be possible because when you look at the trial from UK, Oxford, when they first talked about steroids, it only helped in people who were hypoxic, meaning they needed oxygen support or who were on a ventilator. If you're home, if you're not requiring oxygen, if your pulse ox is over 94, then you're gonna actually do harm by taking the steroids. That's what's shown in the trial. And what I have seen, even doctors feel compelled to write eight or nine things in regular patients who typically are going to get better by routine paracetamol. And I understand, I'm a clinician myself. I've treated patients for 25 years. I understand patients come and they feel good when you give them three or four medications. So I get that. But as clinicians, our job is to do the right thing. And I think once again, it could be both, that the doctors are over-prescribing it and that the people are self-medicating it. So, you know, what we're seeing is that a lot of the, um, the kind of meetings that are taking place at the government and the policy level they're also to handle the shortage of the drug, the antifungal drug that's needed to tackle black fungus. Uh, what else do you think, apart from just uh, telling people like you are that they shouldn't be self-medicating or telling doctors that they shouldn't be uh, giving an overdose of uh, steroids, what else should they be doing to curb it? Because do you see it coming? Because every day it seems to be increasing. Gangaram Hospital, I don't know if you're familiar with the Delhi hospitals, but Gangaram, is, it's run by a trust. And they're saying that they've seen hundreds, more than 100 cases in the last few days in the second wave itself uh, in the capital. So in order to tackle it, are we now, is it part of the wave, the second wave that, you know, we'll keep seeing these cases or is that something that the government can do uh, that will put an end to it very soon? Sure. So I'm a strong believer that good action will lead 
to good results. We are in control, not the virus. So I absolutely believe that it needs to be stopped. It can be stopped. And you have to give a multifaceted strategy. Strategy Number one is preventing. The best strategy is to prevent it, which means you tell people, first of all, I will tell people, look, this does not go from person to person. This is not contagious like COVID. So you first of all need to quell the panic around it. Then you need to educate people about good hygienic practices. You tell them, look, in soil, this fungus prevails. So anything, any practice, anything that you are doing that's keeping you, bringing you closer to that soil may increase your risk. So first is public education. Second is quick diagnosis, because now with all the media attention, I think doctors are probably much more heightened, but typically people don't think of mucormycosis. It's a rare disease. So early diagnosis is really the key, because then third, Treatment is not just amphotericin, the drug that typically gets used, but a lot of these patients require aggressive early surgery. Sometimes the eyeball has to be removed. Much of these infections happen in the face and head and neck area. So prevention, early diagnosis, aggressive treatment, but at the end of the day, this is going to go away. This is not the new norm for India. I think people need to understand that they have to get a grip on it, and this has to, the numbers have to start going down. That is actually reassuring. I want to move now, uh, Dr. Yunus, to the entire issue of vaccination. And because the second wave has infected so many people and it's taken people by surprise and it came right in the middle of uh, exactly at the time when vaccination opened up for everyone uh, above 18. So there's a lot of confusion about when should you, if you've been infected, when should you go in for that either second dose or your first dose? Now, I saw on your timeline that you're telling people that four weeks after is a good time. We've just been having um, varying opinions, but the government has now made its position clear and told people that you have to wait for three months. Now, there are people in the in this space, you have opposition leaders who are asking questions about this. They're saying, is it because India now has a shortage of vaccines that you're telling people to wait? So how does the average person, uh, you know, just a regular citizen, how do they go about this? Sure. So great question. I think there's some broad principles for this whole pandemic that we need to first keep in mind. Number one, science will change all the time. This is Welcome to the world of medicine. If you rounded with me in the ICU over the past 10 years pre-COVID, you would see how humbling a profession it is. And every day we do things and there are different results and we're always changing our strategy. So changing information is nothing new to the world of medicine. Number two is assume good intent. Yes, if you don't trust someone, don't listen to them. But once you trust a, a physician or someone, then you know, uh, surrender your opinion because otherwise you're really going to have a lot of anxiety. Uh, and number three, there can be more than one right answer in this situation, because many areas are gray. Some areas are black and white, but not all. Now, coming to your question, ideally, yes, I think current CDC rec recommendations, which will be globally applicable in my opinion, is once you're fully recovered from COVID, you can go for the vaccine shot. That's number one. After that, it is there's pretty good ample strong data that you are not likely to get reinfected for three months 
that immunity is going to last for three months, if not longer, maybe six months, maybe 12 months. So I think the government, if that's the reason, because I believe that is usually the reason, and that's not a shot at the government. That's how reality is. I mean, isn't that what we do in our own household? We manage budget. We can't go and buy everything. We have to make choices. So the government has to do the same thing at the top level. So if the government is saying three months because of a shortage, I see nothing wrong with it. I would be very transparent. Well, they're not, they haven't admitted it because yeah. of the shortage. So that's, you know, that's because, saying... you know, I'm yeah. a doctor, they're politicians. That's why we're in different <laughs> yes. professions. But I would simply tell people, and I will also reassure them that, look, for three months, your risk is really minuscule. It's not like you're increasing your risk. So if it's whatever the reason is, I think three months is okay if they have to. Four, four weeks right after COVID is under ideal circumstances. If you don't have the vaccine, I think three months is okay. Nothing wrong with it. So the trust thing, what you're saying is quite you know, it, it's perhaps at the core of this entire thing, isn't it? I mean, that applies to perhaps where you are in the U.S., where a lot of people have vaccine hesitancy See, uh... by the science of it all. Um, but it also perhaps for the first time, people are really tracking uh, what scientists are doing. You have, for instance, in India, we had a top scientist who was part of a government body. He quit suddenly. Um, and and it leads everyone to speculate that, well, is the scientist quitting because he had some other reasons, personal reasons, or is it because he doesn't believe in what the government is saying? So for citizens, perhaps, it is uh, a trying time. No, no, absolutely. And I think my approach throughout has been I don't pay too much attention to individual stories and anecdotes. That's not data, right? You know, one thing... Uh, you will find one rare case of anything anywhere. So look at trends. Otherwise, don't base your big decisions on individual stories. I tell people, don't listen to me. I try to align my evidence, my opinion with... was replaced as ministers. A young team was uh, brought in as ministers. Colonel Jama, I read the top periodicals and I try to align my opinion. I surrender my opinion to the evidence. And if people think I'm just throwing my own opinion out, I don't think that they should listen to me. So this is so, the same thing. I think that breeds trust. Please go ahead. So, so Dr. Yunus, is there, if we don't go by, okay, how soon should you? Is there an outer limit? Science, does it tell us that, well, within this time, if you've got one shot, then whether you have COVID or not, even after COVID, what is the outer limit after which the vaccine becomes irrelevant? Then you you may as well get your first dose of the vaccine yet again. Uh, I don't think I understood your question. Well, basically what I'm saying is, if they're saying that, you're, you know, you've talked about one month being an ideal time after you've had COVID. Um, suppose you've had first dose of the vaccine, you get infected. Is there an outer limit for... Okay, when you, yeah, okay. yeah. So if you have the first, and by the way, I've seen many patients in the U.S. as well who got one dose and then got infected. And sometimes they got dose on Wednesday and they came to the hospital on Friday, which means that their exposure was just a few days before the first dose, meaning that they were completely not protected. So that happens. In my opinion, that's a tricky area. After you got COVID, there is significant science developing that just a single dose of vaccine is enough because your COVID essentially was your first dose 
and your first dose of the vaccine becomes your booster, your second. So first of all, people should know that. If they got the first dose, then got infected, after that, I think they have up to three months to get their second dose. And yes, this is a vague area. There is no very sharp one answer, but I would say up to three months, they can get their second shot. The question is, you, you said very rightly, outer limit. So is it three and a half months? Should they get the shot or not? I don't know. Let's talk about it in two months because science is so quickly changing. I reassure people that if I don't have an answer to something today, chances are I'm going to have it in a month. At the pace this thing is changing is unbelievably exciting. And I deliberately use that word because exciting because we can literally save millions of people. If, uh, if these vaccines were not developed at this rate, I mean, you can only imagine what would have happened. You know, I wonder because you said you trust journals and that's where you put your faith in. I wonder if regular people have started subscribing much more to the medical journals or not, because that's something perhaps which is giving them some light uh, at a very dark time. So um, I want to move to something which is, again, confusing for me um, as someone in the media who, who just reads all of this as part of their work. Um, What's interesting is that, you know, the doctors in India as frontline workers, as health workers, were the first people to get vaccinated. And yet we're seeing really high numbers of them, um, you know, dying. Now, what people across the world and experts have said is that while the vaccines may not protect you from getting infected again, uh, from getting an infection. You may get an infection, but it will be mild. It will protect you from hospitalization. How is it then the Indian Medical Association has said, Dr. Yunus, that 260 people have died in the second wave in India who are doctors and healthcare workers? Right. So I think anytime we talk of a death, I think we must contextualize it with a denominator meaning how many total vaccines have been given? What is the comparison? So I last I checked, 40 million people in India have been fully vaccinated. If 400 people died, that will be 0.001%. That's the context. I don't want people to look at actual numbers, 200, 300, 400, because they miss the context. Out of four, 40 million, 400 will be 0.0001. And now you compare the risk with COVID. And I think nobody understands that better than US and India, because these two countries have been just ravaged with this virus. So this virus uh, out of 40 million will probably kill hundreds of thousands of people. So I think number one, that's first of all, the context. Secondly, we don't know the baseline mortality rate out of a large population, people will die random times. You know, there is a random mortality going on that we call baseline mortality. So unless you can say that your baseline mortality has gone up, it's very difficult to once again attribute something to a vaccine. Number three, we don't know the confounding variables. I don't know the ages of these doctors. I don't know their other, con how many were obese, how many had immunosuppressive drugs, how many had diabetes. We don't know any of that. So there's a lot of context. And as a scientist, I always keep that final op option open. Maybe there is an X factor. Maybe there is something different with this variant that is going on, right? But you 
can't just put all your eggs in that one basket and say, oh my God, something crazy is happening. No, you look at everything, you contextualize it, and then you say, all right, I've got to look at these six factors before I draw my conclusion. It's that sort of a situation. I think the headlines, the raw numbers can be very misleading and people cannot focus on 236. They have to look at the denominator. Okay, and, and is it also part of the fact that these the exception makes the rule? So yes, there are people who die even being after being fully vaccinated, but that's an exception? Absolutely, or, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm saying when I say, if you look at COVID, COVID is the rule, right? Out of 100, two will die. Out of a million, now you do the math, out of a million, what will it be? 10,000 will die if it's 1%, uh, 1% or... So there's a very large number when it comes to COVID. That's the rule. So the vaccine right now is 1,000 times less risky because people, people need to understand if they refuse the vaccine, what option they have? Do they have another choice for me? What should I do if I don't get the vaccine? I can tell you there are two choices. Stay in your home locked up for the next year or go out and take the risk of COVID. And both of them are horrible choices. Mm-hmm. So this idea that somehow not getting a vaccine gives us a safer option. No, there's nothing more safer than that. You're exchanging a much bigger risk. If there was a better option, I would love for people to present it, provided it's data-driven, it's published. It's not an opinion of someone. I think in India, it's more the case for a lot of people. It's more the, you know, feeling sad about the fact that despite the vaccine, it doesn't give them the assurance that they're going to be fine, you know? So that's what's, it's not the thing of, should I not take the vaccine? It's the thing of, well, if I'm vaccinated, why am I not feeling, uh, despite that, if you think that, okay, so many people have died despite it. But as you point out, it's 0.001%. So, um, yeah, and so Nicola, it like, really is a minuscule. Exactly. And I would say this is just like saying that I was wearing my car seat, but then why people die despite wearing <laughs> yeah. car seat belts, right? Seat belts okay. are going to prevent a lot of deaths, but they're not going to prevent every death, right? That does not mean we should not wear a seatbelt. Okay, Dr. Yunus, you talked about variants. Now, this has become, obviously, when it comes to something like this and so much is at stake, it becomes, um, you know, the kind of, the, you know, the crux of a lot of diplomacy, a lot of, uh, you know, politics around the world as well. Where do you stand on this debate of naming variants? Now, for a long time, the variant which, you know, emerged out of the UK, everybody was calling it the UK variant. And now suddenly, because, you know, it's coming out of India, uh, we are told and, you know, people are very sensitive about it. Just yesterday, there was a huge fight uh, between the Delhi government, which is, you know, our state government and the government of Singapore, because uh, the chief minister said that, you know, you should stop flights from there because there's a Singapore variant, which is going to affect our children over here. Where do you stand on this? Is it just easier? Because it's quite a mouthful to say B.1.167. And and it's practical to just say, okay, it's the India variant or the UK variant. But now it's got all kinds of connotations because people are saying, basically, you're being racist and you're doing what what Trump did with China. So where do you stand on this? Yeah, uh, so I, I see all sides of it. I'm not ignorant, but I'll tell you very clearly. I stand 
on the side of the patient. The patient who's in the ICU either trying to get on a ventilator or trying to avoid a ventilator or looking at death, does that patient care what you call this, right? I don't think so. I've seen hundreds of those patients. They don't care what you call them. They don't care which medication you give them. They are looking at the horror of COVID. They've never experienced something like this before. They feel like they're drowning in their own fluids inside their lungs. So from that, that's where as a physician I stand. So to me, it does not matter. I think whatever gets the patient immediate help, and it's important what, what you said earlier, it's a mouthful. What gets attention? So right now in this particular case, I would say my focus would be how can we get as much international help to India so people can lives can be saved? And what is that channel? That's how I would think. Now, I understand that's not to say that that's the only right thing, because when you name a variant to a country, it will impact economy. At least there is a fear that it will impact economy. It will impact your image. It will impact travel, all those things. And for some people, it's just a matter of political pride, national pride. I get all of that. So I will let them you know, be the expert. They can talk about the importance of that. I'm not an expert on it. But I, I can tell you as a physician, having seen hundreds of COVID patients, neither the virus nor the patient cares about what we call it. This thing about children being impacted in the next wave, it's something that we are, you know, we heard one of our top scientists say this, that in the third wave, it's children because we saw, um, uh, this wave saw a different set of people, younger people, older people in the first wave. This time we saw younger people. Now they think that it's getting, you know, we're going to see children being impacted. Do you agree with that? I think that's very irresponsible with all due respect. I would not make such a statement in the midst of a pandemic when there are so many bigger real challenges India is facing. And I'll tell you why. First of all, there is no scientific data that that's true. That's a, somebody's personal projection. Number two, we have not defined what a child is, what young means. People throw these terms out as physicians. We have very clear definitions. Are you talking about people between the age of 18 and 35? Is that what young is? Is under 18 a child or is under 10 a child? What do you really mean by these terms, right? That's what I would ask. Now, what is clear that that is true, that more younger people are getting impacted? But I think, look at the elephant in the room. Isn't it likely that the first wave infected a lot of elderly and now they're probably immune and their immunity is still lasting them and they're somewhat resistant to a reinfection? And now you've added another 40 million, though a small number, I think that's fully vaccinated, but one dose is over 140. So you have a lot of at least some vaccine or vaccinated people who are also likely to be elderly. And number three, the elderly may be a little bit protecting themselves more as well, staying home, staying out of trouble. And young people may be living a little bit more high risk lifestyle, going out to offices, work, parties, whatnot. So I think there are so many reasons which are much more likely to explain why younger patients are getting infected now. Now, again, it's concerning if they're getting bad outcomes, but the way to make these assertions is to publish it. And I understand it's, it takes time, but there's a lot of preprint coming from China, coming from Italy, from all other countries. So I think doctors, if they're seeing something abnormal, we need to invest resources, give them resources that they can push out some preprints. So 
folks like me can look at real data rather than learning from the media. If I see something, and then no disrespect to media, but I don't think science works that way. I cannot look at a media story and which does not answer my questions and then draw a conclusion. So today, I have not seen. And if somebody has, I'm very open-minded. I'll come again and apologize to your audience. But if you think there is good data out there to suggest that children are at risk in India, send it to me and I will be happy to review it. But I have not seen good data to make such a conclusion. Children can get this virus. They can get infected, no question. This is more transmissible. You're likely to see more infections in youth and children because it's more transmissible. But are we truly at a point where we should be afraid for the life of our children or worst outcomes, I don't have that information and I do not think we should say it. Are more waves inevitable as well, doctor? Yeah, so this is a tough one, right? So once this virus gets a hold in a country like it has in India, think of it like a flat tire, like a puncture tire. You can push air in it and go another few miles, but you will lose air again. You can keep pushing air but unless you fix that puncture or you change the tube, you're not safe. So the way it is, every lockdown is like you're just pushing more air in the tire. It's going to give you some time. But the permanent solution, the fix of that puncture is vaccination. So unless the country gets to something more than 50%, and that's just a low, low, low threshold. I think ultimately you've got to get to 70 80%. But once you get to 50%, chances are you will at least not see big waves anymore. As long as you are way, way below 50%, like today, I think, unfortunately, nothing can be said. Uh, unfortunately, we are not in control and virus is driving. You, you get to switch seats around that 50% mark. That's what we are seeing here in the United States. To give you perspective, we were having over 100,000 deaths in January and February in US in a month. And now the total deaths in a month are about 15 to 18,000. Americans have not changed. You know, the very uh, people don't change that quickly. The mask and social distancing hasn't changed. The only factor that has changed is about 60% of the country is now vaccinated. So I think that's the key thing. I know this is not something people like to hear. I know it's difficult. I know currently there are vaccine issues. But just because it's difficult does not mean I need to change my answer, the right direction, the right answer. And this is true for India, it's true for Pakistan, it's true for every country. You want to permanently control this virus, ramp up your vaccine. There is no other shortcut, no other treatment. And that brings me to my final question, because we are nowhere near that 50%, Dr. Yunus. And so we all looked at, as you said, America had such high numbers of people dying just a few months ago. And now you have the CDC saying that if you've been vaccinated, you can go ahead and take off your mask outdoors. Um, first of all, do you, because I think it's left some kind of mixed signals in the US. Everyone, not everyone seems to be convinced by that. Are you? And second, you know, in, in, the, in this region, in the subcontinent, um, it, that seems to be years away, isn't it? Yeah, so let's start with the first one. I, I'm fully supportive. I think CDC is doing the right thing. They just perhaps came in, came out a little abruptly. I would have preferred if this slowly communicated it in a little more gradual fashion over a couple of weeks. So I think people felt that jolt, jolt of just complete freedom. 
but yes, more than 95% transmissions occur indoors. More than 60% of the country is vaccinated. Another 10-15% may be COVID recovered. So you're already at 70-75%. I think it's perfectly fine what CDC did. As far as other countries are concerned, it's just not possible to stay in lockdowns. So I think it's perfectly fine to just accept the fact that a good quality mask for the next foreseeable future, perhaps the rest of this year. And I don't want to say years and years. I think always think in three month increments. Another quick advice to people, don't think beyond that. It'll just simply freak your mind out. At least it does mine. So I think of three month increments. I think in the next three months, it's very likely that you will need good mask mandate and then from there on reassess. Well, Dr. Yunus, I can say for myself that I certainly don't feel freaked out and I feel much calmer speaking with you. Things look good somehow. So thank you so much for taking time out and answering all our questions. My pleasure. Thank you so, thank so you. much for having Bye. me. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.